Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, the show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, a shock defeat for Chelsea as they start the defence of their WSL title. The Blues make Freunds with a new sporting director. There's Potter's friendly return to Brighton. And we round up the rest of the Chelsea news. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Here we are again then, guys. Uh, another week in the life of Chelsea Football Club. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined today by The Athletic's Dominic Fifield. Hi, Dom. Hey, Matt. How you doing? I'm all right, thanks. Uh, Jesse Parker Humphreys is back with us too. How are you doing, Jesse? Yeah, good. Did I miss much? <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah, Jesse had the temerity to go on holiday during the football season, which is um, outrageous. But anyway, we're going to discuss the potential arrival of a new sporting director later. But first, we only got one version of Liverpool and Chelsea this weekend, and it didn't go to plan. Here she goes, Stengel, she's down again. What a turn up this is. Newly promoted Liverpool have come from behind to lead the champions Chelsea by two goals to one, all three goals from the penalty spot. This was not in the script for Emma Hayes and Co. Listen, they scored from a throw-in that was a penalty and the second was a transition that was another penalty. It's not like in open play they've had multiple shots. They just have maximised the situations and for us going forward, I don't think we could hit a barn door today. So Chelsea beaten at Prenton Park by Liverpool in the WSL season opener then. Two on the score. The Blues were ahead but lost it late. All the goals from the penalty spot. Here's at Jesse JPH tweeting. Today's result means that Chelsea have only won one of their last five season openers. Um, in spite of that, Jesse, this, this is still a huge shock, right? Losing to a, a newly promoted side having been in front. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I will put caveats around Liverpool not being a usual newly promoted side. I think it's fair to say that even when they were in the championship, they probably had a squad of WSL quality and equally Matt Beard, a manager who very much knows what he's doing. He's won the WSL twice. He's managed Chelsea before, et cetera, et cetera. But regardless, um, kind of the standards Chelsea set for themselves, it is a disappointing loss. Obviously, it is a surprise loss. But again, kind of as that stat shows, Chelsea don't seem to like having fast starts to the to the season at all. I guess the positive to take away from it is um, despite only winning one of those last five season openers, they still went on to win the WSL three times in that period. Were you surprised at the starting lineup because it dropped on Twitter and I was like, wow, it's basically a load of attackers, a goalie and two defenders. I wasn't super surprised by the names. I was surprised by the way it lined up. Uh, I think... Hayes had played quite a similar lineup in the preseason friendly against Tottenham. And in that game, Lauren James and Peniel Harder played as eights. Now, obviously, Harder pulled out of the game during the warm up, uh, supposedly as a precaution. And I don't know how much that affected then what happened. Sophie Ingle came in in her place. And I would have assumed before that Aaron Cuthbert was going to play at the base of midfield. And instead, 
I don't know what happened in midfield. It wasn't very clear. Uh, Lauren James was at right wing back. I don't know if that was always the plan, but that was, again, very strange. Not what she's done in pre-season at all. And it's a bit of a weird trend, I think, that we've maybe seen with, with Chelsea. Erin Cuthbert talked last season about how in pre-season last year, she played as a 10 all the way through. And then the season began and she played at wing back. And this pre-season, Erin Cuthbert played as the six all the way through pre-season and then played somewhere random today. Lauren James played as kind of as a as a winger, as a 10, and it was suddenly at wing back. So I can't figure out if this was like the harder thing, just totally made Hayes reshuffle her plans, but it feels like a bit of a strange pattern for the club to be going through. Tom, how much um how much credence do you give to a player pulling up in the warm-up to a team underperforming? Should should managers and squads be able to to cope with it? I mean, it does seem to have a, a big impact on occasion. Just, I don't know if it's the shock factor or the fact that your plans kind of go out the window, but you'd imagine Emma Hayes has plans B through Z ready to go in this kind of situation. Yeah, and it's not as if they started poorly either. I mean, they did go and take the lead in the third minute, whatever. So, uh, I, I, look, it's if you've prepared for for a week for more um with one lineup in mind and then a key player drops out in the, in the warm up then yeah it's disruptive unless you've got a complete like for like to come in and just come in and just fill fill the role fulfill the the duties that the the injured player was going to undertake but it's undoubtedly going to be disruptive we see it all the time um it's it sort of it can wreck plans but but in this case, as I say, they took the lead. And in, indeed, for, for most of the first half, they were very much the dominant team. In fact, over the course of the 90 minutes, they had the vast majority of the ball. It felt a bit like watching the men's team in many ways, in a completely monopolised possession. But the chances they created, really until stoppage time at the end, I think England had a, a really good sight of goal at the back post, um, which she, did, she didn't quite react to to the ball coming across. Um, the, the, the chances they created weren't brilliant, brilliant chances necessarily. Um, and that seems to be an issue that afflicts the, the men's team as well. They, the numbers can be a bit deceptive when you look at them, you know, monopoly of the ball, 10 shots, whatever it was. But how many of them are actually clear-cut, excellent opportunities? Jesse, do you have a theory as to why Chelsea sometimes seem to struggle against the, the the lesser lights, if you like, of the WSL? Brighton have been the team that have caused them loads of problems of late, haven't they? You think back to kind of Reading as well. Is is it just as simple as, well, these kind of teams just pack the defence and Chelsea struggle to find a way through them? Or is there a bit of complacency when they, they play these types of sides or something else? I don't know. I think something Emma Hayes said after the game, which was interesting, was that, that maybe at points Chelsea worry that they need to score lots of goals. And I wonder if there's a feeling that against those smaller sides, you do need to rack up a three, four goal scoreline. Um, and she kind of said, we were in total control, but we rushed everything. And, and I watched the game back this morning and, and you can see it, you know, there are, there are points where there's loads of possession and they're forcing a pass that just doesn't need to be made. They could just like circulate the ball and go again. And I don't know whether it's that feeling of like needing to force it and getting more and more anxious about that that stops them actually creating those better opportunities. Now, in the past, Chelsea have definitely struggled specifically against, you know, packed defences. But I don't think that's entirely what Liverpool were doing here. I think it's a bit harsh to like have them. I've seen some people say that, but like have them as just this like reductive low block team. I thought they did very well in terms of the way they they pressed. But what surprised me about Chelsea as well was for a team that normally have a very clear pressing structure, they they were quite happy to sit off Liverpool and 
what happened then, I think, was that as the game went on, normally you'd expect Liverpool to have tired to a certain extent, but Chelsea kept allowing them to kind of reset and not putting them under pressure. And I think it just made it easier for them to sit back and, and be ready to go again. And I thought, you know, like Katie Sengel had a, had a great game pressing and Leanne Kiernan as well. And there, there was just like a lot of energetic players there. And it felt like Chelsea just didn't, maybe they were surprised by how how much Liverpool did come out and, and how little time they had in terms of building up with the ball. Um, you mentioned Katie Stengel there. Her, her debut, somewhat in contrast to Kadisha Buchanan, it's fair to say. Um, that was a, a really poor decision to to make the tackle to give away the penalty for what proved the winning goal. Yeah, and there were a couple of moments in that game where Katie Stengel had made a similar run and Kadisha Buchanan had struggled. And I think Katie Stengel like, became aware that she kind of had a bit of pace or like just a bit of added verve over Buchanan. Um, I think it was a tough game for her to come into in some ways because Hayes obviously took off Millie Bright, which was amazing. I saw a stat which was basically like Millie Bright missed more minutes in this game than she did in the entirety of last season, in <laughs> herself. Um, but so Chelsea obviously went to a back four, and this was obviously after the first penalty, which Bright conceded through the handball had gone in and it was 1-1. So I can see why we went to the back four, but it felt like a lot when Buchanan has, has predominantly played in a three so far with Chelsea in preseason. When she has played in a four, it's it's been alongside Bright. And I think you could see that suddenly it felt like she was having to do a lot of work. Magda Eriksson isn't really the fastest player anymore. And it felt like Buchanan was being asked to cover a lot of space. And I, yeah, I mean, she totally misjudged, well, two tackles basically in the in the lead up to the penalty. Um, just lastly on the game or more specifically next week's game, Jesse, it's Man City at home, which, you know, traditionally they and Chelsea have had a great rivalry in the WSL over the last few years. Strikes me as this might be the ideal fixture because it's not a game that you're expecting Chelsea to steamroll the opponents like you would against Liverpool. But I saw City on Sunday and defensively, particularly, they are woeful at the moment. So this might be a good time to play them. Yeah, I, I do think it's a, it's a good uh, game to go and have and it does make me think a bit about last season where obviously we lost to Arsenal and then we kind of went and smashed United 6-1 I do think Chelsea kind of as you touched on Matt traditionally perform better against the bigger and better teams in this league because they're more likely to come out and Chelsea are better at finding the spaces when they do equally you know I kind of felt last season that City were always there for the taking and we still lost to them in the Continental Cup final they they will continue to have players who can create and score and Lauren Hemp, Chloe Kelly and Bunny Shaw remain like quite a terrifying front three. Now, yeah, you hope that defensively City are so bad that it, it doesn't really matter there. And certainly Aston Villa showed that if you press them, they will crumble um, pretty quickly. So I do think it, I do think it's a good game, you know, to go to being back at Kings Meadow, I think will be a big boost. I always felt like West Ham at Stamford Bridge was going to be a very like nice opener to the season for Chelsea. And I think having to go for away for Liverpool like immediately felt like a totally different ask. Um, but at the same time, City do have players who hurt you and then suddenly you're like, well, you could lose your first two games of the season. Mm, we'll see. We'll look ahead to that game further in our Thursday pod. Next today, we're talking sporting directors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. So news broke on Sunday that Chelsea are close to appointing Christoph Freund as the club's new sporting director. He's currently at RB Salzburg. Remember them? Uh, he's credited with signing the likes of Erling Haaland, Sadio Mane, Upamecano, Keita and more. Um, Dom, it's kind of easy to assume that this guy just came across Chelsea's radar last week. I, I assume he's been <laughs> somebody in the frame for this job for a fair bit longer than that. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, I think you have to put this in the context of of Todd Bowley's comments to Salt in New York last week where he, he expressed his admiration for the Red Bull group of clubs and here you've got a figure that's very prominent in said group, um, Christopher Freund, who's um, got a good track record at Salzburg. He's been there an awfully long time, 2015, I think he joined as sports director. Um, he's had various different roles there as well and if the ownership are going to admire this multi-club model and they've name-checked Red Bull um, and the clubs they have around the world, then it shouldn't come as a massive surprise that, that they're one of their key appointments, the sporting director, to help them really impose their new philosophy on the club has been prized away from said uh, Red Bull group. Yeah, David Ornstein reporting in his Monday column for The Athletic that Chelsea also showed an interest in Salzburg's chief executive, Oliver Mislintaf, uh, as well. Jesse, we haven't had you on since, since Graham Potter was appointed. Is is it important that, that he has okayed this decision, do you think? that That's certainly what we hear, that, that he likes the, the look of this guy. You want that relationship to be good. We saw how important that was for Thomas Tuchel with Petr Cech. Yeah, and I think, you know, if Bodhi's serious about having these as long-term appointments, then of course you need that that relationship there. I think that's like, for me, in terms of the, the tickle sacking and, and thinking about what comes next, that's like the bit of scepticism of obviously you can say, yeah, Bodhi just wants his guys in and, and that totally makes sense. But then you've still got to kind of wait and see. There was clearly, um, you know, quite a fractious personal relationship there, which is which is fine. And, and we know that Tuchel's historically had a lot of those, but... I guess Bowley has has with the Dodgers, you, you know, a historical precedent for for building long term stuff. So so you can look to that. But yeah, obviously you want you want Potter to to approve, and I guess also you know Potter's brought in his own recruitment analyst, right? Who's had great success at Brighton. So there's that relationship as well to bear in mind. I think when you're putting all those pieces together. So if the sporting director comes in, Dom, do you think that means we'll see less of Todd Bowley publicly other than at conferences and stuff? And and if so, would that be a good thing? <laughs> I'm asking for Gary Neville. <laughs> yeah. I, he, look, he doesn't strike me as being somebody that, that is likely to sort of shrink away from the limelight anytime soon. I think he, I think he quite enjoys being prominent. He may not be 
I mean, look, I actually think that, that they probably quite enjoyed some of the transfer dealings they've had as well in, in, over the summer and, and getting involved in a in a very new environment um, for them. So I, I suspect that I suspect that he will be still quite a public figure. Uh, he's going to be the public face of the ownership, I think, more than than, than the Clear Lake element. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm fully expecting lots of conferences and and wild outlandish um, all-star proposals etc to continue and look it's that's no bad thing it's quite it's 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 interesting uh, you don't have to agree with some of the things that he's coming up with and it's almost you almost like watching him having these brainstorming sessions sometimes in front of an audience but it, it's it's good to have innovative new ideas and 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 to to look at things like this and to to debate them i mean that's that's really what's been that that debate has been raging for for over a week now, and that's that's no bad thing. Just to try and work out where we want to go. Um, Jesse, here's a question from producer Lucy, which I'm I'm going to out her as asking it just in case you don't know the answer or it is as she suspects a stupid question. With the impact <laughs> of a, a new sporting director, would, would that have any effect on the women's team? Are they likely to be across both? Do you think? I guess if you're doing a a whole one club thing, they ought to at least dip their toe in that water, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, traditionally, Paul Green, who's, who's Chelsea Women's general manager, kind of leads on leads on that stuff in, we assume, heavy conjunction with Emma Hayes. Although, of course, you know, again, Emma Hayes isn't going to be at the club forever, presumably. So stuff might change with that over time. I would be surprised um, if the sporting director was having huge amounts of involvement, uh, just because I don't really see where that expertise would come from. And I believe generally it's been done quite separately. Um, but I guess, again, as the women's game develops, there's lots of things around the women's transfer market that are changing very quickly. You know, I think we'll see our first million pound player women women's football probably by next summer, if not the summer after. And I think as fees and agents and stuff get more involved in that side, I suspect you will look to, to people maybe who have that more business acumen than perhaps people who just purely have a good knowledge of the game uh, on the women's side and who they want to recruit. There you go, Luis. Jesse's done you a favour there. We can file that question under pertinent rather than <laughs> stupid. Um, meanwhile, it turns out the men's team played a behind-closed-doors friendly against Brighton on Saturday at the Amex Stadium. They won 2-1. Carney Chekwameka got both the goals. Uh, none of those who started against Salzburg played here. According to the Evening Standard, the likes of Pulisic, Loftus-Cheek, Chalaba, Breuer, Zakaria and Gallagher featured. Um, Dom, this feels a bit illicit to me for some reason. I don't know why. Just just, just the idea of it is, is very strange. Yeah, I was. I'm surprised by it as well. Um, I guess it just shows that the that relations between Brighton and and, uh, and Chelsea aren't that damaged by everything that's happened over the last over the last few months, really, with the Kukureo as well. Look, it's it's a good opportunity. It was a good opportunity, clearly, for Graham Potter to have another look at the players close up, especially the ones that hadn't featured against Salzburg in the week. He he needs to to seize these these chances, and and given that. That Brighton Palace was called off, and and Chelsea had a free weekend with the Liverpool fixture off. I suppose there's, there's a there's a logic. He, he he, it's an easy game for him to to organise if relations are decent with his former employers, which they seem to be. So good opportunistic um, fixture fixturing. Let's put it like that, and it will have it will have done him good, and and will have done those those players good as well because they need to impress him. They need to impress him. Some of those guys are are, are going off now on international duty. They won't be around at Cobham for the next couple of weeks. So, going into their game against Palace on the first of October, they needed to make, leave an impression with him, um, and hopefully that would have happened in in the Brighton friendly. 
Jesse, am I being lazy to assume that, that Chukwemeka might be more likely to feature under Graham Potter than he was under Thomas Tuchel? We, ha- we haven't seen him in a competitive game for the first team yet. I don't know. It feels very hard for me to to pull out all the different threads of who was a Tuchel signing and who was a Bowley mm-hmm. signing because I feel like we've had so many different things. When Tuchel was still at the club, it was like everything was this real, like, you know, everyone wants everyone. Great. Clearly, as Tuchel left, there's all these brief things about who he did want, who he didn't want. I think, obviously, given the general transfer strategy around youth that happened over the summer, we can fairly assume that Chukwemeka fits into that general profile of exciting young players who Chelsea want kind of for the next generation. To that extent, I don't know how much it has to matter about whether he features, although clearly, you know, it's significant that he's in the the first team, whereas someone like Cassidy isn't. But yeah, I mean, Potter has just a generally good reputation in terms of developing players, right? Although I guess maybe not necessarily in that same youth model I don't think that's something I really associate with him more in terms of players you haven't heard of before so I feel like I still don't have a actual read on how much Potter is going to want to integrate the younger guys yeah I, I suppose Dom we'll find out in in January if not before won't we maybe Chuck Wemeka would would be earmarked for a loan then if he if he wasn't by Tuchel if he hasn't featured very much yeah I, potentially I mean he would be benefiting from first team football. That's that's clear, and I, I'm not convinced that that a lot of these guys will play that much under under Potter. I don't think he had. I think Jesse's right. They didn't, he didn't have a massive reputation for bringing through youth at Brighton. I mean, a lot of the players that he he brought in were were budget signings. You might it might suggest um, from the continent, and and he made them into clearly much better players. But um, in terms of in terms of guys from the youth team, there wasn't a. Uh, you know, it wasn't an ex- a, a, a really big stream of talent going into the first team setup. So, um, and it's difficult for him to because he, he has to the, 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 these younger players who Chelsea have bought with potential in mind, albeit for vast sums of money. Um, they have to integrate them over time, surely, but they need an impact now. I mean, Chelsea have not had a good start to the season. They can't afford to, to give them time to sort of settle in and make the odd mistake here and there. He, he has to lean on his experienced players. I'd have thought to, um, to get Chelsea back into some kind of upbeat rhythm and, and, and tempo in, in their play and, and, and their results. He's lucky in some ways that he's got people like Gallagher and, and, and Broya who are, who are young still and still hoping to, and they're hungry to, to make a mark in the, in the, in the senior setup there. But they're a different level to to Carney and Cassidy, definitely. You mentioned Conor Gallagher there, Don. Back in the England under twenty one squad, having been dropped from the seniors, uh, how do we how do we rate his start to the season? Because he featured in every Premier League game other than the one that he was suspended for. He can't be surprised, can he, to have lost lost his place in Gareth Southgate's squad? It's um, I guess it's a test of his attitude now. How he reacts to being back with the twenty ones. Yeah, and I don't think that would be a problem. I've only ever heard good reports on on Conor Gallagher's attitude generally. Um, and he hasn't always had a, a straightforward passage either, and bearing in mind that this is a player that, that I think in the summer of 2020, yeah, in the summer of 2020, he was going to go to Crystal Palace on loan. It was all agreed, and he was quite happy with that because it was local, etc. Um, and then Palace ended up taking Michi Batshuayi instead, and... Um, he went off to West Brom, which was slightly more disruptive, and a and a club competing for for different things, arguably mid table for Palace and 
to survive for West Brom. So he's not he's not it's not always been straight um plain sailing for him. Um and he's he's always attacked every challenge with real vigour and, and enthusiasm. So I don't think he, the twenty ones are gonna be a problem. But you're right, I don't think he can be surprised by it at all. He's played hundred and fifty seven minutes in the Premier League and nine minutes in the Champions League this season. This time last year he was integral in a Premier League team. The team was entirely built around him. Um, albeit a lone side, but he—that's where he made his impact. He, he was given a platform which to to excel, and, and he hasn't got that at Chelsea at the moment. He's having to to prove himself and and to show that he demonstrate that he should be in this company and and playing at this level. Um, at the moment, he's he's felt a bit like a fringe player is probably a bit harsh because he's had probably more impact than that. But he's he's certainly not necessarily a first choice in that team because there's so much competition in well in midfield and in the forward positions as well one one thing we should I mean it's stating the obvious maybe but but Graham Potter knows quite a lot about Conor Gallagher from his from his two games against him last season Gallagher won a penalty for Palace in the first match in a one-all draw and then was on the the end of one of the greatest goals I've ever seen live, certainly scored by Palace, a 20-pass move involving every a touch from every single player in the team. And he, he scored at the Amex to put Palace 1-0 up there and another one-all draw ultimately. So he, he has seen how he can thrive within the setup, and he, he will know his attributes and, and qualities and hopefully how to get the best out of them. Jesse, do you put him in that bracket of, of young players, the type of whom Potter isn't particularly noted for, for improving, or the fact that he's got, what, two Premier League seasons and, and some in the Championship and League One as well behind him. Does that make him a slightly different profile of player? Yeah, I think like Dom said, you look at Breuer and, and Conor Gallagher and think, okay, well, they've certainly like shown that they can play at Premier League level, albeit in different teams. And I guess maybe that actually they're, well, Conor Gallagher especially, maybe a player who looks better suited to Potter in terms of being able to find a position that works for him. Because I think that's been the main problem with him at Chelsea this season right like Dom said Palace were kind of able to give him exactly where he wanted to play and that clearly got the best out of him and I think under Tuchel we saw it didn't really feel like um, he was in a position where he was going to be able to shine even though he kind of was shunted around into to various positions within that midfield so I guess depending on Potter's assessment of his talent which is clearly there he might be in a much better place to, as maybe the team potentially gets reshaped, although obviously against Salzburg, it didn't really look like a super different side from from what Tuchel was looking to do. But whether that was just because, you know, limited time to prepare first game and whether we see something different after the international break maybe becomes a different question. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-21s played Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park in the Dom Derby. Uh, despite leading 2-0 and 3-1, Chelsea had to settle for a point, finished 3-3. Amari Hutchinson scored twice. He's another one of those young players that have been brought in this summer, isn't he? Lewis Hall had a shot deflected off Cesare Cassidy for the other goal. There are reports that Hall signed a new contract with Chelsea, but those haven't been confirmed uh, by the club yet. Meanwhile, the under-18s went down 1-0 at home to Norwich on Saturday, conceding in the 87th minute. Uh, so Cassidy played in that under-21s game on Saturday. Simon went to watch it and he has written about Cassidy and how he's settling in at Chelsea and why he didn't go out on loan. That's up on The Athletic. Now, you can also read Liam's piece on Kaladu Koulibaly's early struggles. Don, what are you working on? <laughs> I'm working on family feuds, witch doctors, um <laughs> Agent deaths. Ugh, the the life of Paul Pogba at the moment. It's it's been a traumatic year for for Pogba. Yeah, horrific. Um, looking forward to reading that though. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up. Michael Cox has also written a piece about the shock defeat for Chelsea against Liverpool in the WSL opener and how that might be a good thing. Not that we agree with that, but uh, go and read it anyway. Um, Jesse, you've just come back <laughs> off holiday. What are you going to be doing for the next couple of weeks then all building up to the, the big one at Kings Meadow on Sunday? Yeah, uh, I'm off to Arsenal Ajax in the, in the Champions League tomorrow, which will be fun. And then yeah, Kings Meadow on Sunday. Excellent. Um, Dom, you've swerved quiz duty for this Thursday. You must be must be pleased about that. Absolutely over the moon. <laughs> I'm not, I don't intend to ever quiz again, quite frankly, because uh, you know, I've, I've just been unbeaten in the last, last two and that's enough. That's Go enough for me. I'm done. <laughs> Why not? Well, it might be a bumper quiz on Thursday, given that we don't have any men's action to talk about. We will be building up to that WSL game against Manchester City. And hey, it's Chelsea. Something will happen over the next few days, um, which will require us to have a lengthy conversation about. That'll do it for today, though. Many thanks to Jesse and to Dom and to Lucy and to you for your company. We'll catch up with you again later in the week. Bye for now. 